Here's another Bible study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Jonah chapter 1 is where we're at this morning. And uh, just a little bit about the book of Jonah. I'm sure most of you, if you've ever been to Sunday school, that's probably one of the stories you heard growing up. When I was a kid... Um, long, long time ago in a galaxy far away. No, I'm just kidding. When I was a kid, you know, we had these little, uh, these little things, these little stands. It looked like a little sandwich board sign, if you guys know what that looks like. And it was covered with flannel. And then the teacher, and she usually had bad breath, she'd come up there and she would, uh, I, mean, I just remember those things. Um, and, and she would have these little cutout pieces of paper. She'd start telling the story of Jonah. And so she, there'd be this little guy, on the, and she'd put it on the flannel. And that was... That was uh, the precursor to what we're doing today, actually. This is kind of like a modern flannel graph right now. Um, but I, I still remember that. So if you were uh, ever went to a Sunday school uh, as a little kid, you probably heard the story of Jonah. And uh, anyways, people today, probably back then too, said, is, is it a real story? Did that really happen? I mean, did a man really fall into the Mediterranean Sea and get swallowed by, by a whale? And by the way, Scripture doesn't say it's a whale, just it's a great fish, so... Uh, who knows? I don't think it was a guppy. Um, but anyways, um, was that a real sto- situation, a real story? Um, and so there's people that challenge that, that question the validity of uh, veracity of a passage of scripture like that. Um, others say, well, you know, it's more of an allegory. It's meant to just, it's just meant to, it didn't really happen, but it's meant to portray some truths in scripture. It is real. It's not an allegory, and the reason why I say it boldly is because Jesus brings it up in the Gospels. In Matthew 12, verse 38, uh, it says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. It's not a whale of a tail. It's factual and it's not allegory. And in addition to Jesus mentioning Jonah being swallowed by a great fish, Jesus continued in verse 41 of that same passage and said, The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So it's not even the fact that Jonah fell in the water, you know, was thrown in the water and got swallowed by a great fish. Um, But Jesus says the Ninevites who repented at the preaching of of Jonah, um, that's Italian for grandmother in case you don't know that. (laughs) My kids had a Nona, by the way. Listen, the Ninevites didn't repent because of an allegory, okay? They did, it wasn't like, oh, that's a really cool story, we're going to repent. It, it, it wasn't. They repented because of a factual a man that lived named Jonah, was swallowed by a great fish, was puked up on the shore, and pronounced God's judgment, and they repented. It wasn't because of an allegory. But, you know, it makes you wonder, why is the validity of Jonah challenged? Why, why do people even are so you know up in arms about it? Well, I think it's... Mainly, you know, somebody could say, well, it's intellectually hard to swallow. 
<laughs> Hard to swallow. Um, the, you know, the, <laughs> the fish probably thought that too. Uh, man, I'm on a roll here. Um, I think there's a spiritual warfare aspect to it. I really do. Because it's a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Satan doesn't want that message getting out or any, you know, Satan wants everybody to think, how could that ever happen or anything like that? So I think there's a spiritual aspect behind the validity of Jonah being challenged. Well, let's talk a little bit about the book of Jonah. As you know, it's four chapters. There's scene one, which takes place, that's chapters one and two, which takes place on the Mediterranean Sea and in the Mediterranean Sea, and we'll get to that probably next week. Scene two is chapters three and four, and that takes place inside and outside of Nineveh. Again, we'll get to that later as well. Let's talk about the man Jonah. His name, by the way, means dove. And we find out from scriptures that he was the son of a man named Amittai. So he was the son of Amittai. He was a prophet by occupation. He was from Gath-Hefer, which is uh, the tribal land of Zebulun, which is in the Galilee region. And the reason why I bring that up is because, uh, you know, we just not too long ago finished John chapter, or John in, uh, on Wednesday night's Bible studies. And we came across this in John chapter 7. Um, when Jesus was at the temple, and it's recorded in John chapter 7, it says, Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, they heard what Jesus was saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The, answer, uh, they, the officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees said, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears, uh, before it hears him or knows what he is doing? And they answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search the scriptures, or search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Evidently, they forgot about Jonah. Because Jonah did come from the Galilee region. Um, so Jonah prophesied during the reign of a guy by the name of, he was in the northern, tri the northern kingdom when the, the, uh, the, the tribe of, or the nation of Israel had split up in the northern and southern kingdom. He was from the northern kingdom. kingdom. He prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II who was the son of Joash. Now if you know your Old Testament, you might say, ah, Jeroboam. There's two different Jeroboams. There was the Jeroboam the first, the son of Nebat. He's the one that led the northern tribes into idolatry. This is not him. This is many years later. There's another king by the name of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. And so that's the king when he was on the throne. This is when uh, Jonah was alive. So let's take a look this morning at scene one, uh, which is in, starts in chapter one. And the first thing we're going to look at is Jonah's commission. Verse 1 of Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai. 
I want to stop right there for a moment because I was looking at all the different minor prophets and I'm saying, how many of them start with now? And to be honest with you, I couldn't find a single one other than the book of Jonah. So why does it say now the word of the Lord came to Jonah? Well, the reason why is because this isn't the first and only prophecy of Jonah. There is another prophecy recorded in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. It says, he, speaking of that Jeroboam I mentioned, he restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. So this is another prophecy that Jonah had made. And during the reign of Jeroboam, that was a time of economic Uh, It was a time of uh, political and material prosperity for the northern tribes of Israel. Not a time of spiritual prosperity, okay, but a time of political, economic, and material prosperity. And Jonah had prophesied this message of encouragement for the kingdom of Israel. It was a good message. People wanted to hear that, oh, man, the the borders are going to be restored and good things are happening. Who wants to hear a good prophecy? Man, I always want to hear a good prophecy. That was Jonah's, at least that's the only one that we know of that's recorded in scriptures. And I assume that this prophecy recorded in 2 Kings is prior to the prophecy or the, 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 what we're going to read this morning in Jonah chapter 1. So that's why I think it says, now the word of the Lord, so after this other one, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Man, that's a pretty simple message for a prophet. Just cry out against the the Ninevites because of their wickedness. Well, what happened? We're going to look at Jonah's disobedience. It's in the verse 3 there. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Why would he do that? Well, let's talk about Nineveh for a minute. Nineveh was uh, actually settled by Nimrod. If you know Nimrod in the book of Genesis chapter 10, it mentions that he uh, he, uh, settled that area and uh, uh, founded that city of Nineveh. It was the capital of the ancient kingdom and empire, the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians were very cruel and uh, they, were, they were very violent, very military, militant, and very violent. Um, they, uh, you can find these reliefs, like I'm showing on the screen right now, that they've discovered of, of the violent acts that the Assyrians did when they would go in and conquer land. Um, what's interesting is that when the Ninevites repent, I'm going to give you a cliffhanger, they're, they're going to repent. When they repent, one of the things that they specific, one of the sins that they specifically repent of is their violence. And uh, these guys were like the original ISIS. They really were. They were like ISIS on steroids. So why did Jonah disobey? Because here God's saying that he's going to destroy, he's going to judge the Ninevites, these wicked, cruel people. Why wouldn't he want that judgment? I mean, that would be like, yes, I can proclaim judgment on these enemies of Israel. You would think that Jonah would want to obey. Well, keep your fingers in Jonah chapter 1 and go over three chapters to Jonah chapter 4 verse 2. And we'll find out why Jonah disobeyed. 
In verse 2 of chapter 4, it says, So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. That's why Jonah disobeyed the Lord. He did not want God to extend his grace and mercy to those wicked, cruel enemies of Israel, the, the Assyrians, the, the Ninevites. And so going back to verse 3 of Jonah chapter 1, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What I want to focus on this morning is the characteristics of disobedience, because there are things I think we can, we can glean from this story in chapter 1. And the very first thing is the foolishness of disobedience. The foolishness of disobedience. Tarshish is about 3,000 miles from Nineveh in the exact opposite direction. It's, it's amazing. You know, if you, if, based on the known world, it's probably as far as Jonah could go as far as he could run away from the presence of the Lord. And that's one of the things about disobedience. The foolishness of disobedience is that sin deceives. We can be deceived by our sin. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12 says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Now, if you're in obedience to the Lord, you're serving the Lord, and you get into this situation where you feel like you're like I am so far away can the Lord even you know does the Lord even know where I'm going through or where I'm at and stuff that's a good passage to remember man the Lord knows where you're at he sees you he's there with you what a blessing on the flip side of that <laughs> if you're backsliding if you're in disobedience to the Lord it's not necessarily a comfort it's just a reminder hey God knows where you're at he sees where you're at Jonah should have known he couldn't flee from the presence of the Lord. That's the foolishness of disobedience, because sin does deceive. The next thing I want to point out is the direction of disobedience. Now, Jonah was in Gath-Hefer, which is northern. It's in the northern area of Israel, northern portion of Israel. And it says that he went down to Joppa. Directionally, physically, he went down to Joppa. And he went down into a ship. And that's the thing with disobedience. Uh, spiritual direction is down as well. You, know, you may think you're just coasting along, uh, but you're not. I've got to tell you that. You might be sitting here this morning, and you know it's tempted to do. You read this story, and you go, hey, God hasn't given me this, this mission to do, and I'm, I'm running from the present. I'm going to disobey the Lord. I'm not going to do it. You might say, this is kind of a good story, some things to pull out, but it really doesn't apply to me. I'm not running away from God like Jonah. I came across, I was reminded of this verse 
in Romans 14.23. And at the end of it, it says, whatever is not from faith is sin. You know, it's like, oops. Whatever is, is not from faith is sin. If I read that correctly, anytime I'm walking in sin, anytime I'm not walking in faith, I'm sinning. I'm, I'm missing the mark. And if I think that I'm maintaining my relationship with the Lord and things are just, you know, I'm on, this, I'm on this spiritual plane and everything's cool. The reality is I'm not. I'm going down. I'm going down spiritually in my relationship with the Lord. The spiritual direction of disobedience is always down. The next thing I want to point out is the opportunity for disobedience. It says that, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Now later on, uh, at the end of this chapter, it says that God prepared a great fish. That's the last verse of chapter 1, and that was to deliver Jonah. But here, Satan prepared a ship for Jonah to flee from the Lord. And there will always be a ship waiting to draw you away from the Lord. There will always be. There's always an opportunity. There might be a vice, not a physical vice, you know, but a vice, a habit, an addiction, a click of the mouse or a remote, even a friend or a relative, even carnal believers that are friends. Last week I was sharing something, uh, and I don't remember the whole thing, but I was basically sharing how, you know, I look back on my life as a believer, and times when I was not really walking that strong with the Lord, when I was, you know, kind of carnal myself, um, before I was a pastor, (laughs) but, you know, when I was carnal myself, um, I would gravitate to friends that were like me. You know, I, I would gravitate to those that were kind of in the same boat as me. Because, why would I do that? Well, because, and again, it's, you know, it's not like they lead me into sin, but the issue is they don't stop me either. They don't try to stop me. Because they're in the same boat I'm in. They don't challenge me. They don't spur me on to good works. They don't sharpen me. So if you're looking to disobey from the Lord, there's always going to be an opportunity. Satan's going to give you that opportunity to disobey. There will always be a ship ready to take you away from your close relationship with the Lord. The next thing we should look at is the price of disobedience. So the ship was available for Jonah to go on, but it wasn't free. He had to pay a fare to get on this ship. There's always a price to pay for disobedience. Sin is going to cost us something. It might be a reputation. It could be a relationship. Maybe a marriage. It could be a ministry. Our witness. Our effectiveness or fruitfulness for the Lord. And certainly, almost always, our joy. So there is a price to pay for disobedience. But I love this. But the Lord. But the Lord in verse 4. So Jonah's on a ship heading for Tarshish as far as he can run from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord's not done. Verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Psalm 135 verse 7 says this, He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. 
He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. And so God brought this wind out of his treasuries for the ship that's on this Mediterranean Sea. There was another time when God also sent a storm on the sea. It's in the New Testament. And the sea was the Sea of Galilee. In John 6, verse 18, it says, Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. You know, the, the, the disciples are on this boat. This, this strong wind comes up on the Sea of Galilee. They think they're going to die. They, they're, they're about ready to drown. They figure they are. Well, both with his disciples here in John chapter 6 and with Jonah, God caused this wind, this storm to come up, but it wasn't to punish. And it certainly wasn't to destroy either the disciples or Jonah. In the case of the disciples, we read about it in John 6, how they were frightened. And I think what God was doing, what Jesus was doing, was bringing them to a place where they would trust in him and not be afraid. There was, a, there was a purpose in that storm. For Jonah, it's to bring him to a place of disobedience. If you think about it, if Jonah would, you know, if he had obeyed the Lord and headed to Nineveh, he wouldn't have even been on this sea. There wouldn't even have been a tempest uh, uh, around him like this. And so we get to verse 5, and it says, Then the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God, threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. I love it. These guys gained a very healthy perspective on life. You know, they threw their cargo overboard. Their cargo, what were they, what were they bringing? Who knows? But what they once considered valuable, now it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the light of their impending death. Man, I think as we as believers, of all people, we should have that attitude, you know. Uh, it's amazing when you go through like a serious illness. I know some of you have gone through serious illness with COVID and other stuff. Or you've had a tragedy in your life. And I know of a family that, that lost their home in a fire. And, you know, those kind of things, as tragic as they are, they certainly bring perspective back into our lives of what's important, you know. And so we can lose sight. And as believers... You know, we know that this earth is not our home, so how much more should we have that same perspective? But anyways, the mariners, these pagan guys, they gained a healthy perspective there in that boat on the Sea of the Mediterranean. Next thing I want to look at is the indifference of disobedience. Look at the second half of verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us that we may not perish. I was thinking about Jonah. You know, How low can Jonah go in disobedience? He went down to Joppa. He went down into a ship. Now he's down in this bottom of the ship sleeping. Pretty soon he'll even go lower than that um, as we continue in this story. And God here is intervening in Jonah's rebellion, God's the one that sent this storm. And Jonah is asleep, unaware, completely indifferent to what's going on around him. While he's sleeping, the pagans are having a prayer meeting up on top side of the ship. They're praying to all their false gods, you know, whatever idols, you know, they're praying to each one. It's like, try this God, try that one, try this. Somebody, hopefully somebody's going to, you know, do something. So while these pagans are having a prayer meeting on top side of the ship, the servant of the living God 
is asleep below deck, and he's completely missing the prayer meeting altogether. Now, one of the things, if you go through the Bible, a lot of times the sea is a picture of the world, of the population of the earth, the world, the, the population of people, mankind. Sea is often pictured in the Bible as a picture of the world, and there is currently a storm going on in the world today all over, not just literally, physically with the violence and all the stuff that's going on in the Ukraine area, but spiritually there's a storm going on in the world around us, and all too often we Christians are asleep. I think of this passage that Paul wrote, Romans 13, 11, and do this knowing the time that it is now high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Jonah's in the depth of his disobedience. He's asleep and he's indifferent to the storm that's raging all around him. I'm reading a book. I know some of you have read it. In fact, I got it from one of you at our White Elephant Exchange. I'm reading the book from the Mike, the My Pillow guy. You know, you know the guy, right? The My Pillow. Everybody knows the My Pillow guy. Um, I'm reading his story, and uh, I'm not quite done with it, but I'm I'm fascinated with it. First of all, the amount of stuff that this guy lived through his life—it's incredible. But what really caught me this last recently, where I'm at in the book, anyways is that his wife left him. By the way, so he's already got this My Pillow, the company that you know of today. He's already it's already a company. He's already working it and and selling and stuff like that. He's a crack cocaine addict at this this entire time. And as he's just in, engrossed in his sin, in his disobedience, his world is falling apart around him. His wife is where I'm at in the book anyways. His wife left him. Uh, his Kids, they've grown up with his cocaine addictions, and not even aware they was. Kids are pretty smart; they probably were, but you know, in the story, anyways, he's hiding it from them supposedly. Um, but you know, there's all these things going on in his life. He's lost his wife. Uh, his kids are about ready to leave him too. His house is being foreclosed on, and he's still smoking crack. You know, and and then these people are trying to steal his company from him. And all of a sudden, he realizes, he comes to his senses, goes, man, I'm in the storm. Everything's falling apart around me. You see, that's what happens with sin. Sin can make us oblivious to the storm raging around us. And Jonah was oblivious to the storm that was raging around him. Next thing I want to look at is the revealing of disobedience in verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Busted. <laughs> Proverbs 16.33, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Verse 8, Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? So he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. These pagan sailors, these mariners were very superstitious, right? It's like, 
Pray to every God that you can think of, you know, trying to deliver us from the storm. Can you imagine their fear when Jonah says, I serve the God who created the heavens and the earth, who created the seas, and then he reveals to them that he's in disobedience to them. And so they freak out. Things are pretty bad when pagans are rebuking a prophet of the Lord. And it's equally bad when unbelievers rebuke the child of God who's in disobedience. And I can tell that from experience because I've been there. I've been in a place of disobedience before and got rebuked by an unbeliever. I thought you were a Christian. It's not a good place to be. It's not a fun place to be. The next thing I want to look at is the resignation of disobedience. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will be calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Now you could take that a couple different ways. You could say, Wow. Jonah, what a, what a, I mean, he loves these mariners. He doesn't want to see them die. He knows it's his fault. So he's just throw me overboard to spare them. Jonah wasn't being a martyr. I really don't think he was. A martyr dies for the glory of God. I think Jonah's at this place where he would rather die than obey the will of God. You see, because sin can bring you to that place. It can give you to that place where you are just ready to give up where you are resigned to despair, the resignation of disobedience. Disobedience can lead you to the place of resignation and hopelessness. I've been there before. I feel like, man, God will never forgive me. How can he forgive me? I've done this again. I, you know, how, how, I should have known better. How, God's never going to forgive me. Or God's never going to use me again. And we can get that feeling, that attitude. And Satan, of course, loves you to be in that place. Because he wants to render you ineffective as a believer. And you get to that feeling, I might as well throw in the towel. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever experienced that, but anyways. You know what the good news is? That's not the God that we serve. He wasn't trying to punish uh, Jonah. He wasn't trying to destroy Jonah. The good news is that's not the God we serve. There will always be a but God story. There was a story in for Jonah, and there's been stories in my life and in other people's lives. The but God stories, I love those. The Bible says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Verse 13, so these guys, they find out that Jonah's the one, that's the, he's the cause of all this that's going on, and Jonah says, just throw me into the sea. I think he was just ready to give up. Just like, that's it, I'm done. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. You've got to give these guys a lot of credit. I mean, they have more compassion than Jonah has. Think about it. They've got compassion for Jonah. Of course, they're worried about themselves, but they don't want to throw Jonah into the sea. Remember, Jonah wasn't running from the Lord because he thought his mission would fail. He was actually running from the Lord because he knew that his mission would succeed in the repentance of the Ninevites. He, he, he didn't have compassion on the Ninevites. These guys, these pagans, they have more compassion on Jonah than Jonah had for the sinners that were around him, the wicked, incredibly violent enemies of Israel. So try as they might to get to shore, 
They reach the only conclusion they can think of. And verse 14 is the work of God in spite of our disobedience. Verse 14. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. And do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done, it, uh, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Can you imagine the moment he's the splash and all of a sudden, it's calm. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. I think they became believers in the God of Israel at that point. Jonah had caused the storm by his disobedience. And Jonah's disobedience affected others besides him. These sailors were affected by Jonah's sin. That's another deception of sin. We think, ah, nobody's harmed by it, you know. No, there's, there's always casualties when we sin. Yet God even used Jonah's disobedience to reach the heart of these pagan mariners. God's at work. Even, even in the midst of our disobedience, God's at work. God has a plan and a purpose. And God also used the storm to get uh, Jonah's attention. I'm going to read this to you out of Hebrews 12, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. And if God you know, is keeping you on a short leash, praise the Lord that he loves you, and that he's not allowing you to continue where you're going, where you're, you're destroying yourself, your life, your family, whatever. Praise the Lord that he keeps us on short leaves. Leashes, I should say. So Satan had prepared a ship for Jonah, an opportunity for him to flee to the Lord. Here it is, man, hop on board. We'll sail away. God prepared a fish for Jonah. Look at verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And we're going to stop there this morning. But what can we learn from Jonah? Hopefully a lot. One of the things is, the Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, even our enemies. You know, you think about all the stuff that's going on militarily and all the stuff that's going on. You know, when, when ISIS was beheading all these people, Man, it's like God judge him, God destroy him, wipe him out. That's not God's heart. That's my heart. That's not God's heart. God's not willing that any should perish. Your worst enemy, God loves them and died for them just like he died for you. That's the first thing we can learn. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. The second thing is sin is deceptive. It's foolish to think that we can hide from the Lord. Hebrews 4.13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If you're this morning walking in sin and you know you're in sin and you're trying to hide it and hoping nobody ever you know, discovers it or something, God sees it. Maybe, this, maybe the Lord's even using it this, this morning to gently say, Hey, I love you. I don't want to see you go down that path. Repent, turn from your sin. 
I love 1 John 1, 9. It's in every Bible. <laughs> I always look for it. 1 John 1, 9, you know, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The third thing, sin will always take you down. Hebrews 2, 1, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. You know, I think of a person that maybe got, you know, caught in adultery and they ended up losing their marriage over it. I don't think they woke up one morning and go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit adultery on my wife. I'm going to cheat on her. So I don't think it happens that way. I think there's a slow drifting away, a slow drifting away from the Lord, a slow drifting away in our relationships. And, you know, it, it, we can get off course. And I think sometimes people wake up and go, what did I do? How did I get to this place? Because sin deceives us. Sin's always going to take you down. If you're walking in unconfessed sin, man, you're not on a level playing with the Lord. It's not like my relationship, you know, I'm coasting. You're never coasting. You're either growing in the Lord, you're either being changed and, 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 and challenged to grow, or you're going down. You're not, there's, no, there's no static relationship with the Lord. The relationship God wants with each one of us is dynamic. It's either growing or it's not growing. And if it's not growing, it's not staying the same. Sin will always take you down. The other thing is, we need to be on guard because there's always going to be an opportunity for disobedience. One of the first sinners, not the first sinner, but one of the first sinners in the Bible was a guy by the name of Cain, and he murdered his brother Abel. And the Lord said to Abel, or excuse me, to Cain, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should roll over it. Uh, roll over it. Well, you should roll over it. <laughs> roll over it, man. No. <laughs> he didn't say that. <laughs> Sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Man, there's, opportunities are just waiting. And you think, yeah, I've got master, mastery over this. Guard your heart. If you, those people that think they stand, man, take heed lest you fall. We've got we to gotta guard ourselves. There's always going to be an opportunity for disobedience. The next thing is salvation is free, but sin has its price. And that's a lie of the enemy. Yeah, you can have fun and you can do this or that, and there's, yeah, there's no consequences. No, there are consequences. Sin has a price. It's going to cost you in the end. And then finally, praise God for the but lords in the Bible and also in our own lives. I've experienced those but lords. God intervened and did something i remember even when i gave my heart back to the lord i was i was running from the lord i felt like jonah i was going across the united states and you know i was i wasn't hadn't i wasn't even thinking about god but god got a, got a hold of me and uh man i tell you he he, he got a hold of me <laughs> it's a long story but i won't get into it now because we'll be here for a while but but uh but i love I'm, I'm so thankful that the lord never gives up on us and, you know, you might be in the depths of despair because it's like, I, I just seem I can't get past whatever it is you're dealing with. Man, God is not giving. You might give up on yourself, but God's not giving up on you. He loves you, and he's got a plan and a purpose for each one of us this morning. Why don't we stand up and let's praise the Lord with this last closing song. I have the worship team come on up.